chapter thirty two of plum pudding of divers ingredients discreetly blended and seasoned this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. plum pudding of divers ingredients discreetly blended and seasoned by christopher morley books of the sea the national marine league asks what are the ten best books of the sea without pondering very deeply on the matter and confining ourselves to prose we would suggest the following as our own favorites typhoon by joseph conrad the nigger of the narcissus by joseph conrad the mirror of the sea by joseph conrad captains courageous by rudyard kipling the brass bounder by david w bone salt of the sea by morley roberts mr midshipman easy by captain marriott the wreck of the grosvenor by clark russell moby dick by herman melville an ocean tramp by william mcfee if one is allowed to include books that deal partially with salt water one would have to add treasure island casuals of the sea by mcfee and old junk by tomlinson the kind of shallow water sea tales that we love to read after supper with our feet on the nearest chair and a decent supply of tobacco handy are the delicious stories by w w jacobs dana's two years before the mast which is spoken of as a classic we have never read we have always had a suspicion of it we don't know why before we tackle it we shall re-read the water babies we have always found a good deal of innocent cheer in the passages in john woolman's journal describing his voyage from philadelphia to london in seventeen seventy two friend woolman like the sturdy quaker that he was was horrified when he went to have a look at the ship mary and elizabeth to find sundry sorts of carved work and imagery on that part of the vessel where the cabins were and in the cabins themselves he observed some superfluity of workmanship of several sorts this subjected his mind to a deep exercise and he decided that he would have to take passage in the steerage instead of the cabin having ourself made use of the steerage aforetime both in the mauritania and humbler vessels we feel a certain kindred sympathy for his experiences we have always enjoyed his remark the wind now blew vehemently and the sea wrought to that degree that an awful seriousness prevailed to come to poetry we suppose that the greatest sea poet who never ventured on anything more perilous than a ferry-boat was walt whitman walt one likes to think would have been horribly seasick if he had ventured out beyond the harbour buoy a good deal of walt's tempestuous uproar about the glories of america was undoubtedly due to the fact that he had never seen anything else speaking of walt reminds us that one book of the sea that we have never read for the best of reasons it has not been written might be done by thomas mosher the veteran tippler of literary minims mr mosher we understand followed the sea in his youth not long ago when mr mosher published that exquisite facsimile of the eighteen fifty five leaves of grass we asked him when and how he first came in contact with whitman's work he said i don't suppose there was anything particularly interesting about my first acquaintance with whitman 
which at fourteen years of age i made in my old family mansion situated at smith's corner america i had been taking the galaxy from its start only a few months previous to the date i mention i can still see myself in the sitting-room of the old house smith's corner america i will remind you is a portion of biddyford maine an extra d has got into the old english name which by the way only a year later i passed through after a shipwreck on the devonshire coast that was in eighteen sixty seven no one ever told me anything about walt these amateurish speculations on maritime books are of no value except for the fact that they elicited an interesting letter from an expert on these matters william mcphee wrote us as follows the first thing i laid my hands on this evening while hunting for some forgotten nugget of wisdom in my notebooks filled with mediterranean brine was that list of books for a projected sea library perpin the seafarer's library tom kringle's log michael scott two years before the mast dana midshipman easy marriott captains courageous kipling the flying cloud morley roberts the cruise of the cachalot frank t bullen log of a sea wave frank t bullen the salving of a derelict maurice drake the grain carriers edward noble marooned clark russell typhoon conrad toilers of the sea hugo an iceland fisherman lottie the sea surgeon d annunzio the sea hawk sabatini a good many of these need no comment attention is drawn not to the individual items but to the balance of the whole that is the test of a list but there is a good balance a balance of power and a balance of mere weight or prestige it is the power we are after here regard for a moment the way tom kringle balances dana's laconic record of facts no power on earth could hold tom kringle to facts with the result that his story is more truly a representation of sea life in the old navy than a ton of statistics he has the seaman's mind which dana had not then again captains courageous and the flying cloud balance each other with temperamental exactitude each is a fine account of sea doings with a touch of fiction to keep the sailor reading neither of them in the very highest class the cruise of the cachalot is balanced by the log of a sea waif each in bullen's happier and less evangelical vein i was obliged to exclude with christ at sea not because it is religious but because it does not balance it would give the whole list a most pronounced list if you will pardon the unpardonable i regret this because with christ at sea has some things in it which transcend anything else bullen ever wrote now we come to a couple of books possibly requiring a little explanation the salving of a derelict is a remarkably able story of a man's reclamation i believe maurice drake won a publisher's prize with it as a first novel some years ago it was a winner among the apprentices i remember the grain carriers is a grim story of greedy owners and an unseaworthy ship by an ex-master mariner whose chains while not a sea story is tinged with the glamour of south american shipping and is obviously a work written under the influence of joseph conrad 
marooned and typhoon balance only you mustn't be too critical as examples of the old and new methods of telling a sea story the sea surgeon is one of a collection of stories about the pescaries which d'annunzio wrote years ago they are utterly unlike to fuoco and the other absurd tales on which translators waste their time in passing one is permitted to complain of the persistent ill-fortune italian novelists suffer at the hands of their english translators assuming however that our seafarer wants a book or two of what is euphemistically termed non-fiction here are a few which will do him no harm southey's life of nelson the influence of sea power upon history mahan admiral lord beresford's memoirs the diary of samuel pepys f r s secretary to the admiralty in the reign of charles the second and james the second it is most grievously overlooked that samuel was the first to draft a naval rate book which is a sort of index lexicon of everything one needs for fighting and sea-going efficiency and it is a pleasure chastened by occasional fits of ill-temper to discover that the present british naval rate book hath in its divers synonyms coevalve with samuel and his merry monarchs as when the present writer tried to order some hammer handles and discovered after much tribulation that the correct naval equivalent for such is ash helms whereupon he toilfully rewrote his requisitions and so to bed another suggestion i might make is a volume to be compiled containing the following chapters landsmen one admirals generals blake and monk two a dutch triumvirate van tromp de witt and de ryder three napoleon as a sea tactician four decatur and the mediterranean pirates five the chesapeake and the shannon six the spanish-american naval actions seven the russo-japanese naval actions eight the turco-italian naval actions conclusion short biography of josephus daniels only deep-water sailors would be able to take this suggested library to sea with them because a sailor only reads at sea when the landward breeze brings the odors of alien lands through the open scuttle one closes the book and if one is a normal and rational kind of chap and the quarantine regulations permit goes ashore gruesome as anything in any seafaring pirate yarn is trelawney's description in recollections of the last days of shelley and byron of the burning of shelley's body on the seashore near via reggio the other day in company with two like-minded innocents we visited a bookshop on john street where we found three battered copies of this great book and each bought one with shouts of joy the following day still having the book with us we dropped in to see the learned and hospitable dr rosenbach at his new and magnificent thesaurus at two seven three madison avenue we showed him the book because every time one shows the doctor a book he can startle you by countering with its original manuscript or something of that sort we said something about shelley and trelawney in the hope of starting him off he smiled gently and drew out a volume from a shelf it was the copy of prometheus unbound that shelley had given trelawney in july eighteen twenty two with an inscription 
as the poet was drowned on july eighth eighteen twenty two it probably was the last book he ever gave away one wonders what may have become of the log of the american clipper that shelley and trelawney visited in the harbor of leghorn shortly before shelley's death shelley had said something in praise of george washington to which the sturdy yankee skipper replied stranger truer words were never spoken there is dry rot in all the main timbers of the old world and none of you will do any good till you are docked refitted and annexed to the new you must log that song you sang there ain't many britishers that will say as much of the man that whipped them so just set these lines down in the log whereupon shelley autographed the skipper's log for him with some sentiments presumably gratifying to american pride and drank some cool peach brandy it was his last drink we ourselves just as much as shelley enjoy visiting ships and have had some surprising adventures in so doing we remember very clearly our first call upon william mcphee when he was first assistant engineer in s s turrialba but getting aboard vessels is a much more complicated and diplomatic task than it was in shelley's day even when armed with mr mcphee's autograph card it was by no means easy we went dutifully up to the office of the united fruit company at pier nine to apply for a pass and were surveyed with grim suspicion why we asked gently in these peaceful times is it so difficult to visit a friend who happens to be in a ship prohibition said the candid clerk and a whole province of human guile was thereby made plain to our shrinking mind mortals incline readily to sin it seems and apparently evil and base men will even go so far as to pretend a friendship with those who go down to wet territory in ships simply for the sake of well we cannot bring ourselves to mention it how do you know mr mcphee wants to see you we were asked luckily we had mac's card to prove it we had long wanted to see mr mcphee in his sea-going quarters where he writes his books and essays so finely flavored with a rich ironical scepticism as to the virtues of folk who live on shore never was a literary sanctum less like the pretentious studios of the imitation literatures in a small cabin stood our friend in his working dungarees if that is what they are called talking briskly with the chief and another engineer the conversation in which we were immediately engulfed was so vivacious that we had small chance to examine the surroundings as we would have liked to but save for the typewriter on the desk and a few books in a rack there was nothing to suggest literature plutarch's lives we noticed a favorite of max since boyhood frank harris's the bomb which however the chief insisted belonged to him e s martin's windfalls of observation and some engineering works we envied mac the little reading lamp at the head of his bunk we wish some of the soft-handed literary people who bleed about only being able to write in carefully purged and decorated surroundings could have a look at that stateroom in just such compartments mr mcphee has written for years and expected to finish that night in the two hours each day that he is able to devote to writing his tale captain mess at oyne's daughter as we talked there was a constant procession of incomers 
most of them seeming to the opaque observation of the layman to be firemen discussing matters of overtime on the desk lay an amusing memorandum which the chief referred to jocularly as one of mac's works anent some problem of whether the donkey man was due certain overtime on a sunday when the turry alba lay in hampton roads waiting for coal on the cabin door was a carefully typed list marked in mr mcfee's hand work to do it began something like this main engine pump link brasses fill up main engine feed pump and bilge rams open and scale after port boiler main circulator impeller to examine hydrokinator valve on center boiler to be rejointed the delightful thing about mr mcfee is that he can turn from these things which he knows and loves to talk about literary problems and can out-talk most literary critics at their own game he took us through his shining engines showing us some of the beauty spots the weir pumps and the refrigerating machinery and the thrust blocks we hope we have these right unconsciously inflicting upon us something of the pain it gives the bungling jack of several trades when he sees a man who is so fine a master not merely of one but of two two seemingly diverse but in which the spirit of faith and service are the same she's a bonny ship he said and his face was lit with sincerity as he said it then he washed his hands and changed into shore clothes and we went up to frank's where we had pork and beans and talked about sir thomas brown End of chapter thirty two